Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me today, we've got Sean Cunningham, who is our regular co-host, but also we brought in a guest, and uh, it's a big one because you know I'll say this: for a long time, I was not allowed to have uh, people from the Athletic on my podcast. Uh, Telling secrets, which, I love it. Which I'm not sure that <laughs> everyone knows on on the Zoom call here. Um, but Tell now us that more I'm, about what you couldn't do, yeah. Now that I've got. <laughs> Uh, the freedom to have whoever I want on the podcast, Mr. Sam Amick. And, and Sam, we always joke, you're like, I don't know, the Chevy Chase or the Steve Martin of, of the podcast, because you've been on my podcast like a record number, like probably 15 times over the course of the last decade. So welcome in uh, Sam, uh, Sam Amick. Sam, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> We're combining people. I, I love James. I told you at the game last night, and obviously thank you for having me. Like we joked off the air. Next time, guys, we're, we're we need to do this at Peony Palace, our, our yes. favorite restaurant in Elk Grove for the locals. Go go help our friends over there. Great Mongolian barbecue. But um, I do genuinely love that. I mean, listen, I get it professionally. You know, this is a new challenge for you. You've been creative, and, and you're already back to doing your thing in a different form. But I do love that. I think it's going to come with a bit of a different voice. And I know you're you're kind of kidding about like the podcast restrictions and, and things like that. But, uh, you know, that that job you had before, it's a very good job. But anytime you have a sponsorship with companies and then media people therein, things get tricky. So that's a very long-winded way of saying I'm, I'm happy to finally be with you and, and hear the honest perspective all the way through from James Ham. Yeah, see, Sam is telling you right there that I had to eat too much Wendy's. You know, <laughs> which is hilarious. And you, because... I mean, you look so healthy right now. It doesn't even look like you're touching Wendy's, which I just had the other day, by the way. Yeah. But and, yes, and if you see, and if you see Sam, if you see Sam at Peony Palace in Elk Grove, it, as he eats uh, his Mongolian barbecue, usually he, it's a workout too, because he's absolutely just drenched in sweat. You know, not only that, but you add on like uh, they're, they're pretty diligent with a good reason about COVID, right? So like the sweating, is a problem on its own during normal times. Now, you know, and certainly to be respectful and healthy, we go up to the Mongolian in the bar, if you will, and we're putting on the plastic gloves and that only adds to the sweat. So yeah, it's a whole thing. Now, the pe- Maybe I'm wrong. The people don't want to see that. This is it's probably better. Yeah. You know, uh, Amic, we went to, uh, was it Buffalo Wild Wings? And one time we were sitting there and we decided to get one of the hot wings. And I remember like the eyelids sweating, like we, right. we, we did something too hot. It was like, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh no, this is not good. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're sputtering through the first part of this podcast. That's what we do here on the King's beat. We go nowhere fast. Uh, but same <laughs> <What a> promo, <laughs> <laughs> the King's beat where we go nowhere fast for an hour. <laughs> um, Look, uh, Sam, you just uh, you just sat down with Monty McNair, um, and, and you got an hour long interview. Uh, you abused media relations staff; they were probably knocking on the door <laughs> trying to get in. You're supposed to be there for a half hour. You dragged it out, um, kind of like how I had Luke Walton last week on, on the pod. Uh, the Kings are actually letting us uh, chat with some people, which is interesting. Sure. But um, I, I liked it. I, I thought it was good. Um, Monty has a way of uh, of like giving you a lot of corporate speak and yeah. dipping and dodging. I mean, he would be a very good dodgeball player. 
but just what were your overall takeaways from the sit down you had with Monty and, uh, and did you enjoy that, like that setting? Because it did seem like you're starting to break through some barriers with him. Yeah, I did enjoy it. Um, it's funny because I mean, at least for a guy who, who does, you know, kind of perfect the dodgeball art, as you put it, James, it's still an enjoyable conversation. Of course, you know, he's very tough as a subject to get, you know, him to pull the curtain back, to get him to give you candor, you know, somewhat lightheartedly would say, I mean, I'm being somewhat serious too, like a 60 minute interview, you know, if he had just come guns blazing, let me tell you what I really think it could have been a 20 minute interview. You know what I mean? Like it's, it is, you, you end up kind of casually making your way through the conversation and, and, and trying to get, you know, honesty and perspective and insight out of him while um, along the way, just having the vibe be good. So I thought it was good. I, I you know, it's funny. Uh, one of our kind of friends and, and former colleagues who was in the back of my mind as I did it was Aileen Voisin, you know, legendary columnist from back in the day at the Sacramento Bee. And I don't think she would mind me sharing. She texted me recently and just kind of shared her opinion that, that she still feels like Monty is a bit of a mystery man. Um, when it comes to the fan base and even somebody like her who is watching closely, even though she's not in the business anymore. So that was part of my motive where, yeah, okay, we want to talk Luke Walden. We want to talk Darren Fox, Marvin Bagley, all the way down the line. But if nothing else, was just trying to, to almost take a bit of a human interest angle and talk about Monty growing up in L.A., making his way to Princeton, working for the Rockets and just kind of tell that story a little bit more than, than I thought had been out there. Yeah. You know, Sean, it, you know, Sam, um, I'm looking Combining at us again. I'm yeah. watching these little faces on the screen. Um, it, it kind of like some of those moments with you, it did remind me of, of the, when I was discussing things with Luke, when I talked about his dad and we started doing those, uh, you know, those are moments where you're, you're trying to get someone to relax and you're sure. trying to get someone to give you a little bit of insight there. So you get a lot more insight somewhere else. And I, I think it's really interesting that the longer you talk to Monty, the, like the more he lets his guard down, I think he actually gives you a lot of read between the line moments where, sure. uh, it, but you have to be looking for them at all times. And I, I saw that during the off season, Sean, I, I don't know what it, when you're having conversations with him, because again, it's been super limited. And a lot of it is that the Kings are like, you know, they're locked up like a vault. Uh, but it's also that we're in a global pandemic and you got to kind of give these guys a little bit of, of leeway here, but like outside of zoom calls and outside of like an occasional sit down off the record, like, what are your thoughts? What, what have you got out of Monty in your discussions? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is gonna be a weird way to say it, but like, I feel like I've had to date Monty McNair. Like, what? <laughs> and, I mean, seriously. Like, so you, you this mentioned pod's going it, somewhere now. I know. This is I going know. To, we don't and know hope, where it's going. <laughs> I hope Monty. I hope Monty listens to this because uh, this is how I'm going to promote the tweet or the pod. <laughs> That's right. Sean Cunningham. I feel like uh, I'm dating Monty McNair. We we I now have that. a new a new thing, uh, the Kings Beat Podcast, where Sean admits to dating Monty McNair. <laughs> All we right, had let's, to, let's go down this rabbit to, hole. We had to go down and we had to go on a date in a way because like we started in pandemic, as you mentioned, James, and his first press conference, I mean, I think he would even admit didn't really go well. I mean, it was very 
stoic and here I am the statue and I'm going to a lot of corporate speak and do my best Jeff Petrie imp- impression and no one knew who you were and, and as you mentioned Sam a minute ago like that's kind of that's stoic. not enough love for Jeff Petrie by the way because what well, Jeff did was an art it was so, it was you know it was but in the sense well, Sam, that- the tree cast a shadow <laughs> on the world and sometimes when you build a roster you have to consider the oxygen like, what where are we going here <laughs> while wearing don johnson's suit and hush puppies he did that. and and also being princeton right like just yeah. sitting there yeah, yeah. And Which when I he didn't says mention. yeah when he said the one i loved since we're talking feature here for a second you know a wise man points to the moon and an idiot looks at the finger right you know and it's and i he'd have moments like that all the time and i'm just looking at him like he I, look i know you th- i know he thinks we're stupid and i know he thinks he's smarter than all of us but he doesn't have to rub it in her face but jeff was jeff was anyway my point it's just being his personality that, yeah, yeah yeah but my point continue. being though like jeff you don't really, slander man i know we don't really know anything about Monty, like you mentioned into what you mentioned with aileen she's not wrong like there's not a lot out there on, and I think it's by design where he lets his guard down. So much like what you did, Sam, fortunately you're able to write this and put it on the podcast. Uh, we had to do this more in a, in a different setting, but it was, I think when I sat down for him for an hour and a half, I, we talked about TV, his family, you know, he loves justified. He recommends that to anybody, you know, just some of the things that he does and, and how he separates the personal from the work world, which I think, no matter if you're working in basketball or the state or media or even a nine to five retail, whatever, I think anybody can relate to that, right? Cause you're working your jobs, but you want to have that family time too, and then have that downtime and how you decompress and whatever you do uh, you know, mental health was such a big topic of discussion during the pandemic and, and just how you kind of pass the time. So, so much of that was really just kind of learning him because look, I mean, you learn so much about your this team, and, and Sam can probably relate to this more than anybody because he's got to cover all of the leagues and all the teams in the league, which is you learn so much about the, the, the teams in the league, and you don't necessarily have to do it in an on-record fashion with the general manager. While that does help, it, does, it also helps provide that context and some of the stuff behind the scenes. And I felt like in meeting him, I mean, he's just a – he's very much an average guy. Like he's a, he's a guy's guy, you know, anyone can relate to that release comes out. Normal um, is, is maybe normal. normal, the word. Yeah. Yeah. Normal. But it's also like, he's so he's got interest in a lot of things. I mean, he yeah. and I had a fun moment because he's a Dodgers fan and I hate the Dodgers. So, right. you know, we had that and there was this pennant race going on. So um, I, I, I like that. I like that you were able to bring that out about the football stuff, Sam, with the Harvard, the collarbone injuries, I thought was, was really interesting too. Um, how he thought he might get into, into, coaching high school football and here he is this nerd nick in in basketball you know running a, a, an operation that let's face it um wasn't the most attractive gig but it's a gig nonetheless and he's one of 30 so um he takes over and i i, I mean i wondered what your takeaway from him was in terms of just being this brand new general manager who had been with the rockets for a long time under daryl Morey, and we get all that but now that he's got his own operation with the with the powers that be how he kind of navigates his day to day and and what he makes of the role that he has now. So to that point, Sean, this is a weird kind of aside about the media business that is tricky. You know, the, the listeners aren't looking at my face on video. I'm dog tired right now. And it's largely 
because, you know, you do an interview like this and, and the podcast element is pretty easy. I just upload the file. I give it to our producer. They put it together. Voila, we're done. You know what I mean? Like the interview was the hard part. But because, you know, by and large, more people are going to read a piece based on an interview like this than they are going to actually listen to the entire podcast, which not to put, you know, I mean, Sean, that you read the story, you had that in the interview, did, right? Yeah. So here's where it's tricky. It's like, um, I still shamelessly would, would highly recommend Kings fans listen to the entire interview because as James knows, the written piece w- was probably six or 7% of the interview. Uh, I actually looked at it. It was, if I would have put the entire interview, it would have been 13,000 words transcribed versus the story that came out that had a bunch of my own words was 2,500 words. The point is that the podcast goes pretty deep on the inner workings of the Kings right now. And to your question, Sean, how they function. And I just didn't have a way to put that in the written piece, but I think it's worth listening to. He talks about Joe Dumars. He talks about Wes Wilcox. He does hit on Vivek, but not a ton. You know what I mean? And admittedly, that was one. I don't mind just being super honest there. Like the GMs agreed to do the interview. There's no major controversy right now on that front. And if you push regarding like, hey, tell me the truth about Vivek. Is he is he meddling like crazy right now? Like, you know, you already know the response you're going to get. So we, by and large, I kind of skipped over that element, but he, you know, I asked him at one point, Sean, that, you know, are you all rowing in the same direction? And I prefaced it by saying that that's mainly a question that's kind of born out of the King's infamous history. And the, the idea that so many previous groups did not row in the same direction for a number of different reasons. And I thought him kind of detailing that, yes, his opinion is they are, and here's why, was insightful. And he, he even talked about the way they'll function communication-wise. You know, everybody has an opinion. Don't be bashful. Don't be afraid of getting checked or having some sort of recourse if you vehemently disagree with the GM about a draft prospect or a trade possibility. Uh, it is a seemingly a pretty inclusive environment. One kind of colorful little thing that I got, I thought was kind of interesting and insightful, Wes Wilcox, you know, assistant GM, former Atlanta Hawks GM, and, and really, you know, kind of he and Monty are doing this thing largely together, um, you know, in terms of a day-to-day basis. You know, Wes popped in at one point early before the interview to say hello. And on the way out, I was just leaving and uh, I turned the corner and Wes, there's a, a group of um front office staff. I hate to admit, I didn't know who they were. I think they were analysts, but it was you know, a younger crew yeah, the analytics, analytics team. Right. And, and Wes, Wes was in like his, what I'll describe as like his Phil Jackson Zen moment where he was clearly, you know, I don't know if he was pondering trade possibilities or, or what he was thinking about, but he was laying on a table on his back with his feet, like crunched or his knees crunched all the way up to his chin as if it was like a yoga pose. And I kind of laughed. I was like, you're right there, buddy. What, what are you up to? You know, and, and, and he said, oh, I'm sorry, man. I was just, I'm thinking, you know, and you kind of got like, they, they, they were coming off of a loss and they were kind of all in there, just, you know, chewing the fat and, and looking for solutions. You know what I mean? And specifically, I don't know what that entailed on that particular day, but you got a, a bit of a sense that, you know, that, that uh, you go in every day and you look for the answers and you try to keep moving this thing forward. Obviously, right now, their focus is, is a playoff berth, but it's an interesting group. I don't know if they can pull it off, but they do seem to be 
trying to, to go in the same direction together. You know, Sam, you, you bring up the, the two of them, but there's also King <clears throat> Catanella. And, yep. and, and if I look at those three, it, in a weird way, it kind of reminds me of their three guards that they have that they're really centered around. You've got three very different personalities, three guys who ha- all have a very strong skill set to bring to the table, but they're so incredibly different. I'm wondering, because you touched on this a little bit, and, and I'll be honest with you, you brought up Vivek, and the one thing that was cr- like cringeworthy was hearing the... Um, I'm just going to say it, the ridiculousness that is this whole, I want a jazz band. Um, when that was in the podcast, I, I just wanted to like throw my phone across the room because that to me is like, it's something that Vivek did with the Michael Malone situation. But when you look at those, it's those funny. Guys, sorry to interrupt. It's no, funny you ahead. mentioned that because I knew it rang a bell and, and I couldn't place it until you just reminded me right there. I forgot that that, that was something that came out of that era. Yeah, and that needs to go away. To be honest with yeah. you, he needs he needs a new uh, a new shtick because that to me is just like it, it's. Or he should volumes. pay royalties to my friend David Thorpe, who who wrote a book about you know basketball as jazz. You know, I feel like it's right. way too close from in terms of creative property. But but yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Fair. I mean, and again, like that's fine to have that mentality and to have that be your vision. But I mean, that's like seven years ago that that mistake was made and all you're doing is inadvertently bringing it up. And I know it was Monty bringing it up, but the fact that he's still pitching that as an idea is something that I think like is unsettling to me as someone who's covered this team for as long as I have and seen the mistakes that this franchise has made. So, but Sam, I think what I wanted to get to was you see this like three headed monster they have behind the scenes. And, you know, again, like I I don't want to, discount Ken Catanella because I do know how much impact he does have on some of the salary cap decisions that they've made over the course of history and like keeping some of the creativity with their contracts. Yeah. Their contracts. So I think it is a major piece. And of course, Wes is like this media savvy guy. And then Monty is the analytics guy who, you know, has a final say, but how is this group? Because it's something that you brought up that people around the league don't really know him still. How is that group being perceived from the outside, from people that you talk to? Like, who do you deal with when you're dealing with the Sacramento Kings? Are you calling Wes? Are you calling Monty? Or do you know Monty well enough to have those discussions? Or is Wes like brokering that conversation and then bringing them to Monty? Like, what is the sort of inner workings that you're hearing from the outside? Yeah, I think conversation-wise with other teams, um, and hopefully I'm hitting the mark accurately enough, but I think it's it's largely... Monty and West, and you know, I think the collaborative nature of that makes some sense because Monty, you know, he made the jump from you know assistant GM with Houston, where you know you're not the one making the calls all the time, and and as a result, you don't have the relationships. You might know certain people, but in terms of having some sort of chemistry, some sort of rapport with the GMs on other teams. This stuff matters a lot, not to, you know, keep going back to Petrie, but I remember there was a stretch where like every Kings trade seemingly was with Atlanta, you know, because Jeff and and Billy Knight had a good relationship. And that is a very real thing where you see certain teams. I mean, Daryl Morey, obviously previously with the Rockets, now with Philly and, and one of Monty's mentors is somebody who some teams just don't even want to deal with at all because the relationship is they get kind of worn out by how aggressive he can be and 
how relentless he can be. So Wes, having done the top job and having done this job in various forms for significantly, well, I don't know about the overall timeline, but, you know, at a higher level for longer than Monty has, has the relationships. And I think he's kind of helping bridge that gap for Monty. Um, and it does seem like they're doing it together. And it's also, and I hit on this in the conversation with Monty, it's unique in, in that Wes was going for the top job with the Kings. You know what I mean? And, and you guys know that, that he interviewed mm-hmm. and, and was, you know, so he lost out on that job, but then was willing to come join Monty. Um, so it, it's kind of a unique setup. And he talked about Joe Dumars a bit and made it pretty clear that the communication with Joe is much more intermittent than it is with Wes and Ken. Um, you know, and, and we all know the kind of the, the, the kind of with that, Joe is Vivek's guy and he's kind of a, you know, an in between between Joe and uh, I'm sorry, uh, Monty and Wes and, and ownership. So there's a lot of moving parts, but that is uh, how it's functioning right now. And and, uh, and we'll see if they can do some good work here. You know, Sam, before I hand this over to Sean, I'll, I'll sort of clarify something with Ken. Um, like I, I have a really good relationship with Ken. Like we've had plenty of conversations. He's a very, very nice man. Uh, he will not answer anything, anything without approval. Um, like, and, and I even mean like a complex, you're looking at something that could be coming up in the future. And I'm just looking for like a backup on a complex collective bargaining, uh, agreement, like, like twist and turn that you're trying to get your head around and you can reach out and say, Hey, like, I think I'm reading this right. Can I just run this by you? And he'll say, okay, let me get back to you and make sure it's okay. And then he'll get back to you if it's okay. So, so in, in the grand scheme of things, like you're right, it's going to be those guys out in front. They're going to be having the conversations. Ken is more. There's something to be said for, I mean, Ken's, Ken's now been around for a number of years and this is general comment on the NBA and pro sports in general. It's not easy to, survive multiple regimes you know what i mean and i think one of the ways you do that is you keep your nose clean and you don't um you know a lot of executives in this league let's just be real they they try to climb the ladder uh, oftentimes by playing the media game in the shadows by you know by by kind of undercutting some of their colleagues or you know doing that thing again since i mean you're being pretty real here james i mean with with joe there you know there's there's been a sense in some circles that, that, that he has a tendency to, you know, he's the advisor. There's not really a ton of accountability that comes with the moves that get made on, you know, they're not on him, but when certain moves haven't worked out, there's been a sense, and this is not coming from, you know, Amani or West, but like that he, it, there's a second guessing component there, you know, where, and, and so does that make its way up to the owner? And, and does that then impact the way that, that uh, the owner sees certain people? So politics are hard in sports. And uh, I don't necessarily, I don't think I'd begrudge Ken at all for, you know, for being so by the book. I think it's had a lot to do with his ability to, to, to keep the job that he's got right now. Yeah, I thought you were going to go Brandon Williams there for a second. Go uh, ahead. I was go waiting ahead, for the name. Yeah. No, I was waiting for the name myself. Um, yeah. I'm curious too, like, you know, Sacramento geographically for national media is in a very advantageous spot and i wonder you know here you are i know i know here you are based in sacramento and i'm just wondering what you feel 
how what the national narrative is of Sacramento. I know it's a small sample size with the start to the season, but like, what's the overall vision? And I'll give you kind of why I'm going there because your colleague John Hollinger has been in town for the past couple of days. You've got you know Chris Haynes, who's also now in this market, and our friend Logan Murdoch, who you know calls the Bay Area home, and he's in the and maybe it's because I've got Logan in my head from the Ringer from last night, just absolutely just lambasting the Kings and, and, and what they're doing and overall strategy and what, how they're coming into the season and looking at the roster and tearing it apart. And then admittedly has only seen one game. <laughs> and then here's this epic collapse against the Suns after a brilliant first quarter and then a great fourth quarter comeback, which is just with two guys that hadn't even been in the game. Just what is the overall feeling you get from a national media standpoint as it pertains to the Kings basketball on the floor and just the overall direction and kind of strategy that they're trying to employ this season? Uh, I mean, it's in the early going this season, I feel like it's actually been kind of a like a shrug and a like, all right, they might be okay. And we've seen this movie a million times before, but, but you, you know, but we'll give you our attention for a little bit and we'll see, you know, if you can deserve it anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I think generally speaking, you know, Darren Fox before his recent struggles was somebody, you know, where the optics around him were very good coming off of last season. Um, same thing for Tyrese Halliburton, you know, Davion Mitchell. It's funny because, and you guys know this better than anybody last couple of days in the last week or so, like from a, a strictly analytical standpoint and just really looking at how guys play, you know, Davion has, has taken a turn, you know, not for the better. And after a pretty loud start and, and, you know, where he was locking guys up and looking like a consistent impact player, but that early stretch where he showed some of his potential, I think made the optics around him really good. So I think that people have, you know, kind of been digging the core. Um, people constantly question the choice to, to hold on to Luke Walden as coach. I mean, Luke's just a guy that, it, part of it is born out of his, I think, family legacy. Um, you know, folks in general kind of, you know, uh, what's the word? They they kind of shy away from nepotism. And so that might not be fair, but there's that with, I think, Luke is always fighting. Then you have, and just being the son of a legend, and then you have, you know, the Warriors experience where we all know how people looked at, oh, he went 39 and four when Steve Kerr was out with back problems. And, you know, that was an all-time team. So Luke's always fighting these kind of PR problems. And then the reality is that nationally, nobody's really hearing like, hey, best winning percentage in Kings history other than Rick Adelman. You know what I mean? Um, which I think is accurate. Is that yes. the case, guys? Yeah, it's accurate. Because it's just like, it's such a Sacramento filter to look at it through. Like, cool, but they, you know, they're not winning. Um, so until he does something and really makes noise, uh, he's going to keep having a, a tough time, I think, from a, a PR standpoint. But I think people are just waiting to see if they can get this core off the ground even more. And they and right now, I think there is going to be there was already pressure on them as a group. It runs the risk of being even greater now because the West is somewhat watered down at the moment, and it, it looks like an opportunity for a team like them to actually get in the mix after all these years of talking about doing it. You know, you brought up Luke and something that he said in the pod last week with me, the arranged marriage. And then 
Monty said it again. It's almost like a company tagline now that they have this right. weird arranged marriage. Um, and it, they it know is, that Sean's dating Monty. Yeah, now that, she, now that you're dating Monty, Sean. <laughs> no, but I think it, it it requires like some a deeper Shady dive because uh, like you and I both, and I think Sean has probably heard the same thing. Like the vibe is that Luke isn't on shaky ground right now. Like right. maybe towards the end of the season, if they have no shot at making the play in or or making the playoffs, then sure he's gonna have a tough go, but you know, we all know that we're, we're looking at year three of a four-year deal and, you know, coaches don't go into uh, at one more season. I mean, this is always the make or break year. So if Luke doesn't make it this year, then we have this question as to, you know, what do you do next year? Is he going to be here next year? Or if they do well enough where they do somehow snap this playoff drought, this 15 years of agony for Kings fans, does he get an extension? And so you're, we're at that moment, right? Where a decision is going to have to be made. It likely won't be made next season. It will likely be made this summer. Just where do you see that? And have, I mean, it seems like we're hearing like he's fine. He's safe right now. They're going to let him build out his coaching staff. Like he has this, this year, it feels like it's more conducive to what he's trying to do. And overall they're playing better, but I mean, where are we at here with Luke? Yeah, I agree with all that. I do think he's definitely safe for now. Uh, and for now, I mean, like with a, a pretty long runway. I mean, and yeah. not only that, that's kind of looking at it from a negative um, point of view. Some of the stuff that I mentioned in the podcast that I've been hearing is that you know, we, we had a pretty good discussion about coaching development. And I actually referenced Michael Malone and some recent commentary from Michael, obviously now the Nuggets coach, about how in the NBA – there's just not nearly enough focus on coaching development and organizations that show patience with certain coaches and then reap the benefits from them when they let them learn the hard way, they let them evolve, they let them mature. You know, Michael even told specific stories about how in his younger years, and, and you guys know this, that, you know, he's still a hothead, but he's not as much of a hothead as he used to be. And, and it, you know, there's stories during his Warriors time where he and Mark Jackson would butt heads and, and the hot headedness was, was even on a different level. So that's an example of a coach growing, you know, and then making the most of it um, with that same organization. And the Kings, I think are hoping that there might be a story like that for them and Luke Walden. Now, the one qualifier I will give is that as we sat there at that Suns game last night, and admittedly I was barely watching cause I was trying to put this story together. Um, they go down huge in that terrible third quarter. The boo birds come out. The negativity is there. And it kind of reminded me like all these things we're saying right now are cool, so to speak. But like you give this organization a week of that kind of stuff and everything could change. Like, and that's where, yeah. And that's, but and it's not just a Vivek thing, you know, I mean, not to go down this road, but my goodness, we are certainly being reminded you know, last couple of weeks about owners in general, the Robert Sarver story in Phoenix is there's elements of power and, and passion. Oh, passion's the wrong word. Just there's this intensity where owners, they, they, they see, you know, they make these calls. Uh, my hesitation there is it's a terrible thing to even put Vivek in that sentence, but you can edit that out later. 
Um, <laughs> we don't edit here buddy. at the King's I know. Beat. That's right, another well, one of our taglines. Well, Sam, and Sam, to that point, though. All I'm saying, let me just let me, sorry, yeah. Sean. Let me put a, a finer point on it. Owners, you know, are at base level. There's a theme among all of them that they're for the most part emotional, and so negativity, you know, leading to maybe rash decisions, um, depending on, on how things are going. You know, that's kind of the story as old as time. Bluebirds in the building, eleven thousand people in the building. Like that's it, it's coinciding. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that can't be ignored. Either. That's is that, that what the are, attendance was? Yeah. It, I mean, it's wow. not, wasn't great. So, I mean, to that point though, like looking at Luke, like I think in we look, that's one of the things I give Monty a ton of credit with is seeking, sticking with the continuity with Luke, as you mentioned, like that's, I think a big feather in his cap because while there might be some people who will say, well, the guy that he really wanted wasn't available. And uh, you know, maybe this team doesn't really want to, after losing their, proverbial ass in the pandemic they're not really trying to throw money away uh for a guy that maybe they don't really want maybe there's not a guy out there they really want so i get that i get that from an organizational standpoint in terms of replacing luke walton but if anyone thinks that thinks that like monty mcnair gets a pass for another year with luke walton like no that's a major decision that that they're still making that he's on the hook for Yeah, yeah and so i actually give him credit for that because we know countless gms that would come in and say nope I'm on the hook. I've got to do it my way. I got to get my guy. And I think to me, when you look at his successes, if you will, I actually give him a ton of credit for that because there's not really a big sample size to gleam from like, like, yeah, he's drafted Davion Mitchell. That remains to be seen what goes on there. Tyrese Halliburton, I think would be looked at as a big feather in the cap in terms of the draft. Right. But in terms of his successes, I, I kind of put Luke right there because not a lot of people would do it. And I think overall continuity will speak volumes for the success of a team. And even if you fire Luke at the end of the year, uh, he's got next year guaranteed, you know, I, I feel like you can still, I think it'll go a long way with the pieces that you have currently on this team to have more of that same voice there. You're also, Sean, you're making a really good point about how the non-moves are also part of his resume as well. And they are part of, what he will be judged on. And that's actually, for me, one of the toughest parts of this job. You know, we try to cover these situations. And a lot of times we're operating with, you know, 10 or 20% of the information. So point being, and this is, you know, disclaimer, all hypothetical, but let's say you're Vivek Ranadive, you're trying to evaluate Luke Walton. And and it's, you know, after this season, they don't make the playoffs, but it's close and you, you want to decide what you think. Well, maybe somewhere along the way, Again, hypothetical. Somewhere along the way, there was, you know, a concrete offer on the table, Ben Simmons for Marvin Bagley, Buddy Heald, and, and, and maybe the Philly just, you know, they didn't even want a first. And for some reason, you know, Monty didn't do it. Well, then that non-move, you know, that's just going to be part of the calculus for Vebeck, right, and for the organization. And that stuff doesn't get analyzed because we don't always know what they passed on. And, and that is partly what Monty's like early legacy has been is it's the non-moves. It's the non-coaching firings. Um, you know, the drafting stuff has been good. I know Davion is still, you know, remains to be seen, but really good moments early on. Resigning Rashawn Holmes is a success. You know what I mean? That's a big one because without him and, and people thought he might land in Charlotte and 
you know, our John Hollinger just called him the most underrated player in the NBA. So, you know, there have been successes, but not taking big swings, which is like I wrote, it's kind of the antithesis of Daryl Morey's wiring. Daryl is the kind of the star hunter who is constantly, you know, back in the day, swinging for Chris Bosh, trying to get LeBron. I mean, try to get LeBron to Houston. That's what Daryl does. He, he gets on a plane and, you know, goes to the ends of the earth to try to chase these guys down. And Monty is trying to, I don't know exactly what his version of it looks like, but he's trying to be his own guy, have his own style. And so far it's pretty restrained and pretty measured. I don't know if that's the right approach. And again, it's tough to know firmly because you don't know everything that he's passed on. You know what I mean? Well, and to that point, Sam, I think we know the one deal that he did pass on was last off season when he decided not to take what would have been most likely two second round picks for Bogdan Bogdanovich. It definitely would have been. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been two seconds. Yeah. It would have been two seconds, but we know that that deal was, it was a first that would basically turn into two seconds. So people know um, in order to, to trade Bogdan to Atlanta, as opposed to just losing him. And, uh, and to be honest with you, that team last season, they missed the playoffs by, well, they missed the play in by what, two or three games. And you can't tell me that that team wouldn't have been better with, with their starting shooting guard back in the fold and having Bogdan Bogdanovich for the whole season, we don't know how much different it would have been, but that roster last season that they walked into just wasn't good enough. I mean, it was, it was very clear. Um, I mean, agree or disagree with that move. And this is just in fairness, kind of journalistically, you don't have, people don't have to agree, but to be fair and add a little bit of nuance, you know, their stance on that is that, that declining that offer that first that that would become, two seconds was essentially the only way to get a, to eventually get a concrete look at the offer sheet and then make a, a, a more specific decision mm-hmm. about w- how you felt about the number. Now there's people around the league that'll say, that's not good enough. You should have, you know, kind of backdoor ways to get clarity on the number and, and, you know, people who don't agree, but that was, you know, the, the kind of purported logic was that um, they, they had, they, w- they were so much on the fence about that particular decision that the two seconds essentially weren't kind of worth the price to, uh, you know, to, to avoid, or I guess, miss out on the chance to, to actually see the offer sheet. Yeah. And, and, oh, by the, and oh, by the way, the Milwaukee deal just fell through and everyone's being looked at for tampering. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and they did run that all the way up to the, the last couple hours. Like I know, like they took a long look and they wanted yeah. to look at the paperwork and all that stuff. Um, but there was something, with the the Luke Walton discussion that I thought was an interesting sidestep by Monty and he fully sidestepped Marvin Bagley and put that on Luke. Yep. The fact that he's not playing, he put that on Luke and said, well, Luke makes those decisions. That's, I mean, if Luke is going to be the one that makes those decisions and your franchise is going to be the one who gets blown to smithereens by an agent, there seems to be like, some sort of disconnect there because I, you got to be on the same page. Like, and to me there, everybody seems to be on the same page. Like they were last year. Jabari Parker's not going to play. Uh, Nemanja Bielitsa is a break glass in, in case of emergency player. Like Marvin Bagley slips into that same exact situation this year where you're just like, look, we've kind of exhausted what we're going to do here. Then you get just blown apart by an agent and the franchise is the one who's being analyzed in that situation. So where do you see that? Is there, and is there a lasting impact on what's happening with Marvin 
and how the league outside is perceiving what's happening with Marvin, especially when you see, you know, Jeff Schwartz go uh, nuclear on the Kings on the day before opening night. No, I mean, I would love to know more about how Monty kind of to uh, the original point we made on, on this conversation, guys, like I would love to know what Monty really thinks. And I don't, you know what I mean? Like as it relates to Bagley, he got very buttoned up in that section uh, he did 100% say that Luke was the one making the decision not to play Marvin. I didn't necessarily see it as, you know, throwing Luke under the bus or anything. It no. Was very, no, it was, it, but it was a very kind of transactional response of this is how we function. He picks the playing time. Um, now, there's nuance there. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, you have a constant dialogue about how the front office sees each guy. It's not as if Monty has zero voice on rotations and, you know, who should be getting time. But they are empowering Luke to a pretty big degree. I don't personally, I might be in the minority. I haven't thought that the Jeff Schwartz tweet was going to like leave a massive mark on the franchise, largely because like the baggage that, 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 you know, is is kind of born out of that or where it comes from is all Vladi Divac inspired. You know what I mean? Vladi drafted him. Vladi handled the previous years where things didn't go well. And Monty and to a, a degree Luke are just trying to make the best of a situation that they didn't create. An arranged marriage, perhaps? Yes. <laughs> but you dating now, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it is it is interesting. I don't know if I necessarily totally f- agree with the philosophy, but clearly Luke Walton is going with a way that he wants physicality, he wants toughness within his roster. Uh, that doesn't play in for Marvin at the moment. And he's a guy that's so far behind the eight ball and, and due to injuries that just not there yet. And my only thing is I always say, and it's curious to see what national folks think, because I do think this is going to get, I think this is going to simmer a little hotter over the next few weeks and months uh, until ultimately either there's just a decision to part ways, uh, cut your losses, or they just take, as James mentioned in our previous podcast, just take the expiring, which, which isn't a bad thing uh, in terms of necessarily value with this team. But my, what I would say is the Kings aren't good enough to throw away unproven talent. And, you know, you kind of want to see it. I, I feel like in a way they're only hurting his value, which may not be there anyway. But in that case, when you're, when you're competing for the eighth seed and just trying to make the playoffs, like that's not good enough. And there shouldn't be t- play teams don't come in trying to compete for the eighth spot, you know, and, and granted you haven't been there in, in 15 seasons. So any progress will be progress made, but uh, the object isn't just to make the playoffs and you need to find people that can work for your team. Um, granted, I, I tend to think that sometimes organizations are affected a little bit more by the noise that surrounds a player like Marvin, but how's that working for, Lonzo and LaMelo Ball right now you know I mean I think you know the father and some of the things that were distracting those types of players and it hasn't really been a problem these guys have been able to have nice careers I know Lonzo's on his umpteenth team now but he seems to have landed in a good spot maybe that's what Marvin needs but I'd also think that the Kings shouldn't be necessarily trying to push an unproven talent out the door who by the way is younger than the Davion Mitchell who was drafted this year well, so here's two thoughts, Sean and, and James. I'm curious to get your two cents. Um, for one, as an aside, and I, and I have no clarity on if this is playing a part at all, but I just found it 
really interesting when I read this. Um, when Jeff Schwartz tweeted what he tweeted, Bobby Marks of ESPN, who does a fantastic job, you know, formerly a Brooklyn Nets front office executive, had tweeted about the fact that that Bagley has uh, in his contract a stipulation that if he doesn't start 41 games or play 2,000 minutes, his qualifying offer for next season drops from 14.8 million to 7.3. You know, that's not criteria. Yeah. Yeah. That's not an insignificant chunk of change. So, you know, it's hard not to feel like that comes into play somehow. Um, But to your point, Sean, and and I feel like maybe we even buried the lead on, on this whole Kings conversation here is like, what thoughts do you guys have on the, you know, the general idea and suspicion that I have of you talk about, you know, putting Marvin on the side, prioritizing guys like Alex Len and Tristan Thompson. You talk about drafting a 23-year-old whose number one ass air skill set, you know, defense is the it's like the 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 one thing this team has got to get better at now in order to make a playoff push. They're doing, you know, even sticking with Luke, not wanting um, you know, to have the upheaval that comes with a coaching change. They're pushing and Monty made this crystal clear in this conversation like this is essentially a playoffs or bust season and i don't know exactly where vivek is at with the front office but i think there's pressure on the front office everybody is acting as if they've got to get into the playoffs or at least to play in and some of these roster choices are bearing that out and i think locally there's so much focus on the playoff drought that we all kind of just go, well, yeah, like, of course they are like, they got to break the streak. And then if you get out of Sacramento, you still have a fair amount of people who kind of look at that and go, wait, what that's, that's the goal is like the race for eighth, you know, and, and, and that strategic decision to me is, is probably worth exploring a little bit. Cause it does seem like that they're doing some stuff that is with a, a short term, out, you know, impact in mind uh, and maybe at the expense of the future. You know, Sam, when you look at that though, I think it ties into a lot of things. I mean, we look around the building and I don't know, I I know Sunday was less than 15,000. It was 14,800. I mean, we're in a pandemic that getting people in the building is hard. Getting in the people in the building for a bad team is even worse. And you're, you're entering the honeymoon phase is over. Right. So like the building is the building. Now there is no longer that everyone wants to, yeah, everyone wants to come down and see the building. And at some point, like, look, you got to stop with the excuses. You have to actually win. And I'll even throw this at you, Sam, if I'm Monty and I made the decision to bring Luke back for a second season, whether that was his decision or not, I have to be concerned that my future is now tied to Luke as well. Because how many times does this franchise make the same exact mistake where they bring in Michael Malone and then three weeks later they hire Pete D'Alessandro who did not hire Michael Malone. And then we like a year and and change in, you know, he's gone. And then, you know, you bring in George Carl. That's not really Vlade Divac's guy. That's Pete D'Alessandro's guy. But then you fire Pete and you, you got to go through a season with George Carl and then you bring in Dave Yeager, who's not Vlade's guy. He's someone else's guy. We just keep doing the same exact dance. So if right. I'm Monty, I'm looking at it going, okay, if I, I'm part of the, whether we, we succeeded or not. And clearly Luke's basically his coach now, right? 
Yeah, like that. That's yeah. where I look at it because I mean, he doesn't have to be your coach. If you need a coach to get you, like if somehow you make the playoffs, but you sputter and you lose out twice in the first round and you're like, look, we need that coach to get us over the top. Then maybe Monty's proven up that, hey, I got I got us to the playoffs twice. Let me go hire my guy to get us over the top. Sure, We sure, can sure. see that down the road, but we're in a situation where it's just as easy to say, hey, look, I'm not going to do this package, this this staggered coach and GM thing again. So that means I got to go, if I'm going to dump Luke, then I've got to look at my general manager position as well. So I think it's a really weird situation to be in. And it's sort of like, eventually you have to correct yourself and you got to go through this and you got to figure out if these are your guys or not and either forge ahead or you, you really have to like get on the same exact wavelength with a coach and with a general manager and move forward. No, I agree. And I mean, as far as the, the front office goes, I feel like Vivek for years, you know, you would hear that he was, he was fairly, uh, you know, obsessed is a little strong, but like very focused on Sam Hankey, right. That Sam was a guy that, that he would have loved to have brought and obviously former Rockets and Sixers executive and the, the architect of, of the process in Philly. Um, and a guy who, you know, came up like Monty with Daryl Morey. And, and so Vivek had started with Sam. And then lo and behold, during the interview process leading to Monty's hire, you had Sachin Gupta, who also was from the, the Daryl Morey, Sam Hinkie school, uh, along with Monty. And so it's like, if you're Vivek and you, you did finally kind of scratch that itch that you had been focused on for a few years and it didn't work with the team, um, over the course of a couple of years, then yeah, maybe, you know, he's mixing it up, but I get, you know, your point about the arena and business and, and that stuff is, is really, you know, on point too, because, man, guys, I remember in the middle of the pandemic, I had to go to old Sacramento for something and walking through to Doco and just by myself, you know, it was like a, a like a episode of the walking dead or something, you know, without the zombies, just nobody out there. Um, and it's great to see it now, but, you know, over a hundred million dollars in losses, probably well north of that back then. And, uh, and, and yeah, we sit here and we talk sports all day. A lot of times we don't crunch the numbers on the economic side and, and, and what is driving some of these decisions for sure. Sean, you got something? Well, I was going to say, uh, with everyone looking at the free agency crop that isn't there this this next offseason, does that put any more strain on teams throughout the league for this uh, in terms of trades? I know everyone's looking at this Ben Simmons thing and, you know, kind of how that might play out. But do you anticipate a lot of trades this season as people kind of gear up for a summer that maybe won't be all that impactful? I admittedly don't have a great sense of it yet. I just Googled the free agency list to remind me like who's out there. I mean, the Zach Levine thing is, you know, they're playing so well, it's kind of hard to see him leaving Chicago, but that's a, one of the bigger names. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not an A-list class and, and that is typically going to mean more activity, you know, when it comes to trade season. Um, but at the same time, the stars who we thought were in the mix have for the most part, hopefully that noise is not too bad guys. The, the garbage man is here. Um, good. The, the stars have 
seemingly kind of decided that they're going to stay put, you know, Bradley Beal in Washington, it's like, never say never, but you know, he's going to, he's coming up on free agency and, and has a huge bag of money waiting for him that, that a lot of people out in that market media wise think that he's going to take and he'll stick around. Um, you know, Damian Lillard in Portland still got a few years left on his contract, but, but it's kind of rocking with the Blazers again in terms of his public comments. Um, you know, Westbrook obviously went to the Lakers. So those guys trade-wise are, are, you know, I mean, Kyrie Irving is one that we'll keep watching, right? Because Kyrie, if he continues to not get the vaccine, is cleared to play in, in almost every market other than the one he's in, you know, other than L.A. Uh, and San Francisco. So, you know, Kyrie comes to mind, um, Simmons, of course, but uh, Simmons also, guys, I think is a little bit of that, like, you know, he's the, um, he's, he's blocking the whole thing. You know what I mean? Like everyone's going to see what happens. Yeah. I mean, yeah. cause there's so many different teams, you know, I wrote a piece recently about the Suns and the Deandre Aiden situation, right. Where they chose not to give him the max. And you guys know that whole story. Well, there, you know, something I was told that I didn't really kind of flesh out all that much, but is pretty fascinating. And, and I think probably applies to teams well beyond Phoenix is that um, one of their kind of reasons that they claim they didn't give Aiden the money was you can only have, you know, two designated rookie max extensions on each team. Right. And if they gave it to Aiden, they had already given it to Booker. And if they wanted to at any point trade for, you know, cough, cough, Ben Simmons uh, or somebody like him, that's you couldn't do it because you already had uh, two designated rookie max extensions on your team. And so it's like, I, I remember thinking like, well, there's a team that doesn't, doesn't really get attached to Ben all that often. Um, but, but yeah, they're behind the scenes, you know, kind of, um, you know, trying to figure out ways of how could we pull something like that off. And so, but so many teams are doing that and Ben still doesn't go anywhere that it does create, I think a log jam uh, when it comes to that market. All right. So, Sam here on the King Speed podcast, we do a segment called the business of basketball. Rarely does it have that much to do with basketball. We just like to call it that because it's fun. You know, I heard, I've listened. I'm a loyal listener. I You're heard Sean talking about Paris Hilton. All right. You know, and his creepy picture. Yeah. <laughs> Is it creepy? It was hard to I take a know. selfie it's with creepy. a palm trio. That's man. fair. It's, it's fair. It's a little creepy. Young. <laughs> this is my this is my friend. I'm gonna. That's how I'm gonna introduce you. There, um, there we go. Her. There we go. <laughs> yes, he dude. saved her. All right. He so saved. Sam, um, like we we can go a lot of different ways here. So with you in the business of basketball, um, I, I think you know our fallback here is is pretty simple. You were in the bubble and you got locked away from your family and were held hostage for <laughs> for months. Uh, that's one way we can go. Or you were on the Kings beat before I was. And I, I'm just wondering, do you have a specific story that that makes sense that maybe is just so wild and crazy uh, that that you would like to share with us about your time during uh, on on the Kings beat? Man, I don't really know. I mean, you kind of gave me a heads up on this, James, and I, I failed when it comes to like really doing my homework and making a decision on what to share. So I'm, I'm going off the cuff. Um, you saw me walk away from the camera for a short second. So if nothing else, I'm, I'm coming equipped with this because it just kind of makes me laugh and it puts my brain back in the bubble uh, on the door 
to my office, the doorknob, uh, I still have this and I'll explain it for the listeners who can't see it. It is the Disney World, essentially the hotel, um, you know, placard that says room occupied. We're off to Neverland. This was on the door of my bubble room for two months um, and just reminds me every day uh, of an experience that I certainly will like forever both cherish and you know and also occasionally have nightmares about you know like both at the same time because it was a personal sacrifice Mm -hmm. in the middle of a pandemic that and I wrote about this at the time I mean if guys if you go back and you read my columns from the first week they're gonna read like I'm on the therapist couch Uh, I kind of openly talked about rediscovering that I do have some anxiety issues uh, that when I was in quarantine like I was tripping a little bit. Like I was really sick and tired of staring at the same four walls. There was no, the window in the hotel room, unbeknownst to me going in, uh, did not open. So there was no fresh air. And I guess I'll go down the bubble road because you're asking for stories. And Sean, you already know this one. I think James, you know it. You know, like that angst in the early going in the bubble eventually led to, I think day five of my seven day quarantine when I essentially was that guy who was just like, all right, I'm ready to bust out of here. Like, you know, this is too much. And Nuggets general manager, Tim Conley was one of my neighbors. And, uh, and as the story goes, Tim and Celtics assistant GM, Mike Zarin and I made an ill-advised choice to sit outside of our hotel room or our room in the hallway, which was outdoors and, and drink our own glass of wine, which was against the quarantine rules. And, and it was all because we were sick and tired of, of quarantine. And then if you guys remember, the games had come to an end because of everything happening with in Kenosha, Wisconsin with the, the Jacob Blake shooting. So the players had stopped the games we had nothing to pass the time anymore in our bubble hotel rooms. So why not sit in the hallway and have some wine and hope that security doesn't see you. <laughs> <laughs> They're and, always uh, watching Sam. They're always we're, watching. Yeah. The so mouse, we're sitting the mouse there, is always man. watching too. I was in my feelings because of the security guard who caught us. Um, I'll never forget. He rolls up kind of a heavy set dude. And he, and he sees me in my chair and just to paint the picture and make sure people understand. Yes, it was against the rules. We were being saved. Nobody was within 20 feet of each other. And in hindsight it is rather absurd that this was a thing, but we uh, were sitting in the chairs, the guy rolls up and I tried to be friendly cause I didn't know what else to say. Cause I couldn't run back in my room. And I said, Oh, how are you doing tonight? And he shoots me this look staring darts through me and goes, ah, a lot better than you. and proceeds to tell me that you know we might get kicked out of the bubble so uh thankfully didn't get kicked out but you know from that you know if you fast forward a few weeks and a month into the bubble man i've described it before as like boys camp uh like on its best days it was like i'm a grown man with kids at home and a wife at home who was playing pickleball during the day drinking beer at night you know, writing sports columns off some of the best basketball games you'll ever see when I was one of like a hundred people in the gym watching these guys who are just incredible at what they do, uh, you know, from up close. So parts of it were amazing. 
so yeah, the bubble was a, a hell of a thing. Um, there's so many King stories, you know, I, I don't, I don't even know which ones would come to mind. I mean, I've told the, it's not the most fun story, but the one about Bonzi Wells, you know, <laughs> grabbing me by the arm when he didn't like what I wrote about oh, uh, that was, a, that was a sight that was a sight accosted? to behold. Uh, you can yeah have you that. not heard this one James? no i don't think so well, maybe i have but it might have been a long time ago so um uh trying to get the memory straight in my head so Peja stoyakovich and bonzi uh from what i had been told this one night at arco after a game had some sort of disagreement in the locker room and i was trying to get all the reporting get clarity on what happened and originally planned on writing something the following day this is probably 2000 and five um where twitter's not even a thing anymore so i I'm, I'm thinking i might have time to not rush this story well then uh i believe it was tim no shoot maybe tim monomy or or carmichael dave someone on the radio side had also heard about this situation in the locker room and yeah, because monty, i heard it was monty it was yeah. monty and and so they were going to go with it so admittedly I, I mean as a young reporter i probably rushed it a little bit where i didn't you know, I, I still to this day don't know specifically what, you know, if there was something I got wrong, what it was. But regardless, Bonzi, you know, the next day at practice was irate because he was in the story in the B in which it talked about, you know, some sort of a, a face off between he and Peja Stoyakovich and, and Brad Miller, um, you know, allegedly in the middle, which, you know, Brad never cleared up either. But the part that Sean, you know, kind of chuckled that there is like, I go to practice. Devin Blankenship was then with King PR. And, and remember, Devin told me on my drive in, like, hey, just so you know, like, none of the guys are going to talk to you. Like, everybody's pretty upset. And I'm like, all right, put my big boy pants on. Like, I'm ready to go, you know, and just deal with it. It is what it is. And I go in the door as they let the media into practice. And I look up and like Bonzi, who's not a small human being. And, uh, <laughs> Bonzi is like smaller feet. Then than he is now. Oh, wow. <laughs> Hell. <Rim shot. laughs> so I look up and he's 50 or 60 feet away and he sees me and he just makes a beeline for me. And certainly my heart rate starts going up a little bit like, oh boy, here we go. And he grabs me under my armpit as if I'm like a nine year old and not <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not getting beat up, but you shouldn't put your hands on people. And, and pulls me toward the players only area. And it's a long walk again. This Yo, is 50, it was, yeah. Away. And it, it, and Sam didn't pull away until like, I think it occurred to him. What it was about 20 feet. That, yeah, yeah. Like he walked a good 20, I got embarrassed after before. about 20 feet. I was like, all right, dude, pride's got to kick in at some point here. So I ripped my arm away and I was like, man, get off me. And so now we're just, I finally at least stuck up for myself a little bit and we're now just walking i finally said fine you want to he said Let, we're gonna go talk to brad and we go to talk to brad um and but now we go behind the curtain where no one's ever allowed and it's hard yeah. to explain but like as a media member especially at that time it was a it was a tight era meaning like rick adelman ran a tight ship like you know you you don't you never think of touching a player's only area like rick will you know he'll kill you with laser eyes and like so I'm behind the curtain. Joe Nolan, the then security guard, is looking at me like, what in the hell are you doing? And why is Bonzi bringing you back here? And it, it, But it was this whole buildup. And Brad, 
Um, it would actually be hilarious to have Brad on one of these days to talk about this. Oh, he won't even like, remember it. I know, that's true. <laughs> Brad was supposed to clear it up. Like, Bonzi was, like, using Brad as, like, your guy, like, Brad's about to tell you how wrong you were. So, it, like, if it was, like, a trial, it was, like, here's the key witness, Brad Miller. And we get to Brad, and it's just, like, so much drama building up to this. And he just has this, like, kind of dopey look on his face. And he's, like, miffed. But he says nothing, and he shakes his head. He's like, you know, man, like, oh, dude, dude, and he's just a bunch of like noises. (laughs) And there's no like, you got this wrong. Like, he didn't say anything. And I looked at Bonzi like, this is what you dragged me in here for, you know? And then I I just did a 180 and I turned and I left. Um, You know, it's a funny story now. It wasn't very much fun at the time. I didn't talk to Bonzi the rest of the season. I got, I was even kind of stubborn, like journalistically, I kind of felt like, you know, they would hand out um, quote sheets where if I wanted to, I could have pretended that I was quoting Bonzi Wells when he would have like a 30 point game or whatever. And just being real, I was like, nope, not doing it. So if you go study the B, there's like a two month stretch where he played his ass off and I didn't quote him. And any like, because it was like, I'm either having a conversation interview with him, you know, or I'm just working around it. So. Yeah, that I mean, that was like that was the first year on the beat, and and you know, for media or young people, uh, folks out there who are trying to get into media, like these are the lumps you take when you start. This is how you learn, and, and I certainly learned things out of that that I could have handled better, and and uh, I still don't get Christmas cards from Bonzi, but that's okay. Oh, I got <laughs> I got to I got to share one quick story. All with right, Sam. Sure, and I, and Sam's probably cringing at the moment, but. It is Summer League about Sam. About me or you? But no, oh it's about both of us. It is Summer League Sam. So uh, we, we're in Summer League, and as one of – you know, we're, we're no strangers to Summer League, and as Sam can attest, I'm always trying to bring out the activities and try to go, you know, meet <laughs> you guys. You see the stuff, stuff on the white wall. I'm a huge concert freak. So um, I talk him and Nick Monticelli, who's in town for our David Stern interview, and uh, this is right after, you know, the Kings are staying. The relocation's over. And if you ever go to Vegas in July, uh, you can get some monsoons, some pretty really intense, crazy storms. And uh, it always involves flooding. So I'm literally made these guys commit to going to see a concert. And, you know, I go to everything. And I was like, what would be up Sam's alley? We're going to go see Matchbox 20 <laughs> and Goo Goo Dolls. Okay. Adult contemporary. The widest we concert ever. <laughs> <laughs> and it's at Mandalay Bay. Well, what happens right before we're supposed to get there? The skies open up and oh yeah, this storm would have probably saved California's drought right now. It was just intense. And there was a moment where we're like, is this concert going to happen? Like someone, I think Nick. Sean, you remember the cab we got in? Where I'm going to get to that. Was... Yeah. I would, oh, oh, I'm going to get to that. Sorry, so sorry. before we leave, like Sam and I, we have to, there's, it's a, it's a hike to get to your parking, to the parking lot where the cars are. And or to even get a cab, and so we literally throw on these ridiculous trash bags. We look like Garbage a bunch bags. of California raisins, yeah. and we we march out to get this cab, and this cab picks us up, and we drive, and we're literally in like river. And to get into Mandalay Bay, there's this big dip before you get to the roundabout that brings you up to the valet and all that. And I've got, we all have our stuff like in the trunk. Like I've got a camera in the trunk computer 
And I'm looking at this guy like he's going to drive through this river and it's like up to the doors. And I'm thinking anything in the trunk is gone. And so he didn't even he didn't even like flinch. He just went right through it. Like the, the split second decision of him just going, nope, I'm doing this. And we're like, oh, boy, we probably shouldn't do that. Anyway, get into Mandalay Bay. Concert's going on. Fantastic time. Um, had a, it, it, you know, it, it, it's just one of those stories I remember just because it, it, it was a precursor of all the stuff we've done. That was a little bit of an adrenaline rush to get to a concert that, you know, it didn't stop us from getting to the concert. We still went, had a great time and uh, had to deal with Mother Nature and crazy cab drivers. I don't think I'm combining stories, but I think that was the same night where... Um... Uh, it was the weather was so bad. I remember I stayed at the Renaissance Marriott out there, and um, Giannis, then from Hoops World, was a, a young writer and a friend of mine who, like, I forget why, but he needed a room. So I had like a, I had two double beds in my hotel room, right? And before you know it, in this hotel, because of the weather, electricity goes out, um, air conditioning off, you're in Vegas. Like I, that night that I was already, uh, you know, sharing with a colleague, my hotel room then led to like going to the airport the next morning was, was taking my luggage through the stairs, like down 12 floors because they had no power and, you know, and, and, uh, just trying to make it through. So lots of Vegas stories, Sean, you, you started that with summer league, Sam, it could have been much worse. I thought you were, you know, going down darker roads. I found a good story. Yeah, we'll keep yeah. uh we'll keep summer league Sam stories. Sam and his ping pong exhibition, which they need to return that by the way. Um just don't sign me up. Although I did whoop Baron Davis's ass. That was fun. And, and, and I also a lot of mess too. I remember I you and Nick Monticelli uh singing Journey at a at karaoke. See, now we're yeah. getting now yeah. we're now we're pulling too much of the curtain back. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Hey, Sam, thanks so much for joining us. And this is cool, Sean. We'll do this more often where you join in for a uh, for this crosstalk sort of thing that we've got going on here. So, Sam, thanks for joining us, man. Uh, and, you know, good work with with getting money and getting as much information as you can. I know, you know, it's kind of like uh, squeezing blood out of a turnip. I think that's the term. Right. Uh, so, you know, you, you got as much as you could out of out of the interview. And, and that's just, you know. He's he's young in his job, and uh, I don't I don't think it's it's anything personal. I think it's that's the way he's going to be. Oh, he was good, man. And again, it's like, and this goes for you and Sean both. It's like I just think he's kind of now going into that second stage of his time with this job, where he's going to be a little bit more a part of the conversation, you know. And that's the guy's thirty-seven years old, first-time GM. Like these are there's so many layers to this position that you don't often think about the fact that he's never been through this stuff before. So whether it's roster construction or media management, which is kind of what this is. Um, but no, he was good. I enjoyed it. Thank you guys. I will see you soon. But, uh, but yes, next time Peony, is that a deal here? I'm in. Yeah, let's do it's it. It's a little bit of a hike for James, but I'm sure he's, it's worth the, we'll, it's we'll worth just do it after a practice or something. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Kings beat podcast. We'll be back next week with two more episodes. Another big guest. Maybe we'll just keep bringing Sam back. He'll be like a reoccurring character on our on our show because the stories are so good. Uh, you know, we again, have no Kings beat writer at the Athletic. I'm just gonna go, you know, back into my old job. Yeah, we could have asked that story, but I, I think we'll we'll wait on that one and see how it all, all pans out in the end. <laughs> we'll see how it all pans out in the end. So again, thanks uh, for tuning into 
the Kings Beat podcast for Sean Cunningham and Sam Amick. I'm James Ham. We'll see you soon.